When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. How you doing? Well, that's good. You're listening to PHLY Flyers. That's right, PHLY. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. Joining me as always, Philadelphia's number one hockey beat reporter back from the West Coast, Charlie O'Connor. Charlie, how is Southern California this time of year? It's very nice, in fact. <laughs> Didn't really have a chance to get too much beach time. I did run down to the... Um, the you hung vet, out on the fake beach the, by the, the... The fake beach <laughs> in, front of, in front of the Anaheim practice facility. The Anaheim practice facility, by the way, gorgeous. Like, props to the Ducks ownership that spent the money on that. Gorgeous facility. It's like four rinks. Really awesome. But yeah, I did briefly get to uh, run down to the uh, the Venice Beach Pier, so that was cool. Um, but no, gorgeous, you know, sunny skies, no rain, mid to high 70s temperatures, just... Just overall, a, just a, a, a beautiful weather area of the country. Just weather for soft people. People with no character <laughs> who absolutely need to. That's actually a very interesting question, Dave P.S. Maybe we'll get to that at the end. because It's Tuesday. I didn't ask. Yesterday we were off, so I just treated it like the weekend. Right. And didn't ask for mailbag questions because there was no Monday show. And I was like, shit, I don't have that much. No mailbag. I Monday. probably should have solicited mailbag questions, <laughs> but we actually have a funny one from uh, Dave P. Maybe we'll get to at the end there. Uh, so some interesting stuff going on with this hockey team on the road trip. Of course, they lose to the San Jose Sharks. I am apoplectic. You sure were. I uh, decide it's all over. Time to start Cal Peterson every game <laughs> for the rest of the year, whether he's injured or not. You throw him in there uh, and just tank. And so what do they do? Uh, they go out and in back-to-back days defeat the surprisingly good Anaheim yeah, the Ducks. improved Anaheim Ducks. And then they'll yes, yes. a surprisingly better yes. Ducks team. And then the legitimately then, good Los like, Angeles Kings a team that with I Cal th- Peterson in that. Yeah, and like a team, the Kings, who I think like – I don't know. Their their cup odds are a little lower than they're a little higher than they should be. Like they're looking like a real team. Flyers go out and dispatch of both on a Friday, Saturday back to back again with their fourth string in net yeah, on, right. on Saturday <laughs> against the Kings. We're gonna get into the trip. Uh, I want to lead off just with the uh, the Roman Czechmonic right. news. He passed away. Uh, I guess it was over the weekend. Uh, just talk about a dude who. He was only here three seasons, but will always be remembered for better or worse by Flyers fans like a interesting personality. I mean, the cranium carom is I mean, that's J.J. Gold right there. That was a really good I mean, that's that's great shit. And just like he is a character in the Philly sports scene forever, even though he only spent three years here. I think he was like runner up for the Vezina his first year got hot got heart votes like he was phenomenal for this team for a short period of time uh then of course you know the all the stuff that goes down with the team and him it's just another chapter in the ridiculousness of the Philadelphia Flyers that we've been chronicling over the past couple of days yes you know ridiculous things like losing to the O10 and one sharks happen you go this isn't new. Yeah, this is, and this he's is just, just them. Like, in all time. And, like, it's just tragic to hear of a young man passing oh, yeah, away yeah. like far, this. Far I too 52, young. I think. He, yeah, like, far that's, too young. That just sucks. But I'm just trying to think of, like, 
he he provided us some great times in a short window of I don't know about forgotten era, but it's like that team post Lindros, pre the 04, yeah. and then the lockout, like post lockout teams. It's that weird little window in there where they were really, really good and not good in ways you think of that like they're good because of their goaltender. And defense. Roman Czechmonic yeah. was the yeah, Czech yeah. Uh, like Czechmonic and the uh the defense was what put them in position to they, be they cup were, contenders. They were a goal prevention squad yeah. for a few years. And I think truthfully, a lot of it probably Hitchcock. Came, that's it was Hitchcock, what I couldn't think. But it of. also yeah. like it stemmed from getting beaten by the devil so much. And it's just like, well, okay, if this is the way you got to do it, we're going to go higher. We're going to play one zero games <laughs> too. Honestly, I really think that was a big driver. It, of it. it was, it was just getting Almost. frustrated with, because who were, what were the teams they kept losing to the devils mostly, but then also the Sabres with Dominic Hasek, where it was yeah. like, Oh, we have all this offensive talent, but they have the best goalie maybe ever. So we're going to lose to them most of the time. And then of course the devils had another one of the best goalies ever that also played one of the best defensive systems ever. So then the Flyers went out and they're like, okay, we can do that too. We have the money to do that. And Jack Monica had some real good years with the Flyers. Obviously the, the playoffs were, were the issue. There was that one, um, the one playoff series where he got no goal support whatsoever. Uh, they set a record for fewest goals in a five game series. Yeah. They actually won the first game, won nothing. And I think only scored four goals in the series. Yeah. And then there were very strong reports at the time that he wasn't exactly the most popular in that room with his team. Can't imagine why he'd be upset by such a thing. <laughs> Dude's getting fucking heart votes, and they're like, "We can't score a goal, yeah, <laughs> a single goal." So it's it's just another like a great character in the list of ridiculousness of That's all great time. Games for the Flyers, but like doubt. a tremendous. You look at the numbers and go, "What was this like?" Like dead putt. Like how are how is a Flyers goalie getting Vezina like nine twenty nine twenty five save percentage? Just an all time great, uh, even in a short amount of time. So we just had to mention roaming check Monic there because it's like one of the key members of our childhood in a very odd time in Flyers hockey. And speaking of odd times in Flyers hockey. They continue, Charlie, to this day. Uh, it's, only sure been, do, it's only been 20 years since the time period we're talking about. The one thing that remains is the ridiculousness of this organization. Uh, of course, as I said to start off the show, they lose to 0-10 and won San Jose. How do they follow it up? They beat the Ducks and Kings in back-to-backs. And like, <laughs> they just of, lost. Of course they did. They had just lost to these two teams. In the previous two weeks yeah. by a combined score of 12 to 4. So, of course, they go out on the road and, like, kind of take them apart a little bit. And, like, they got some good goaltending and lost the possession battle, even though John Tortorello was a little skeptical of her. <laughs> I believe he called, he, the, he literally over, called bullshit called on the shot Bullshit on the shot totals, <laughs> which I just, how do you not? If nothing else, you got to be entertained by the guy. How do we explain this team, though, Charlie? Is it just like, that's hockey? Like, they're going to be inconsistent? Like, they've lost four straight at home, allowing five goals a game, only scoring two over that time. They're three and one in the last four in the road, scoring four a game, only allowing two. Is it just like, small sample? They're going to be inconsistent? Like, how do you... How do you explain what this team is? Well, I think all of that's true. I, I do think it's a small sample. I do think that this team is going to be inconsistent. I also think that you can't, especially with this road trip, you can't you can't remove the human element out of this. And look, Bill, going back to that San Jose game, you came out of that San Jose game and you were livid. You went on a rant. The Basically, the entire first 20 minutes of that show was a long extended Bill Matt's rant. And... The players and coaches, while they they did their best to keep it, you know, under the radar and behind closed doors, they were probably really pissed off, too. You know, they lost to the winless team. They were the team that got embarrassed by ending the winless streak, ending the losing streak from the Sharks. And I do think that the, the strong play that they delivered on Friday and Saturday probably had a little do, to do with the fact that they were embarrassed a few nights before against San Jose. And it, it just it serves as a wake-up call because I think, if anything, that game should have reminded the Flyers, and I believe it did, it reminded them that, hey, we ain't good enough not to work our asses off because if we try to coast on our talent, this is a reminder that we ain't that talented. It's. Do you think John Tortorella almost saw it coming 
Like I'm Maybe. sure I'm sure he was asked the question, but when he goes, this team better not be able to spell trap game. Yeah. Like he's telling them, I see what you're thinking. Fucking don't. Yeah. <laughs> like, stop thinking whatever you're thinking because yeah. it's incorrect. And maybe he saw it coming a little bit. They're like, oh, and we're gonna we're doing well. We're gonna go play the sharks. It's like, dude, yeah, yeah, we're, you're not. We're, we're that all gonna good. get our points. We're yeah. all gonna get our goals. Everybody's numbers are gonna look better after this game. And then they go out and they score one, one <laughs> on a team that was getting eight sixty nine goaltending coming. Yeah. And listen. The Sharks, it was bound to bounce back a little. Like, nobody has an 850 save percentage. That doesn't, like, a team. Yeah. Like, doesn't have an 870 save percentage. And now we look at what has happened. Oh, well, yeah. Like, Mackenzie Blackwood on back-to-back games goes out and not only defeats the Flyers, who he beats all the time, apparently. He's he's the new Hasek whenever he sees the Flyers across. They go and beat the Oilers, <laughs> who then go on to fire their coach <laughs> and basically put Connor McDavid in charge. I guess so. Like it's he already won. It's now, now you're just formalizing like, it. Yeah, I mean the president was already his agent, but now it's it's Knobloch who uh, we it was might, his junior coach. Yeah, junior coach. Like, <laughs> and we'll get into a little bit of that maybe but, at the but end of the just, show. It, like, it, and that's what happened. Yeah, it was bound to happen. There was bound to be a bounce back, and it's like this is who it was against. And I guess even though I'm still mad at the, like no excuse you should never lose to a team with no wins um they do bounce back and respond pretty well no you come back from that trip i think this is truly the funny part about that trip is that if you would have told me okay i'm gonna be back in philadelphia and the flyers i will just cover practice and the flyers went two one and oh on that trip i would have been like yeah that makes sense okay like you know they kicked the crap out of the sharks you know maybe they got a lucky one maybe they beat the the ducks and then lose to the better kings or maybe they lose to the ducks in a tight one and then come out fire get an ot win against the kings or something stupid exactly like that makes sense two and one yeah that that's a good trip i would never have projected that the one loss would have been to the sharks and they sweep the uh, the la teams but hey in the end the record was about what we would have hoped it would have been going into that three-game road trip in California. It's just in classic Flyers fashion, they found a way to do it in the strangest way possible. That's like I'm I'm like writing the description for this show so we have something for the podcast and YouTube. And I'm like, after a successful road kind of four out of six points. (laughs) Like successful. That's a successful road trip. Also they embarrassed themselves and me more than they have in, <laughs> I guess, weeks. Like, there will be something tomorrow, I'm yeah. sure. Uh, it, but it, they're just, like, I, I, I need to open up my thesaurus and come up with something other than ridiculous. But it really is the word that just describes them and, and everything. And it's funny that this road, like, I always love, okay, they're on a West Coast road trip. And then one in Carolina before they come home. They're they're playing in Carolina tomorrow night. They're finally going to be back on home ice Saturday, 1 o'clock start against the defending champion Las Vegas Golden Knights. And if you're looking for tickets to that one, I got to tell you, man, the way to go is with game time because buying tickets to your favorite event shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you with killer deals on last minute tickets and their best price guarantee. You can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. Game time is the place for last minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. And the game time guarantee, Guarantee means you'll always get the best price if you find tickets in the same section and row for less. Game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Something real small I dig about game time too is it's not like nine clicks to finally figure out what they're actually going to charge you for the tickets. They're upfront with their prices. They tell you what it's going to be. You tap your phone two times and boom. You have your tickets. Uh, So snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code PHLY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PHLY for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Um, I guess we got to get into the uh, all of the. Hundreds of health updates. Got a lot that, of them uh, that, we, like got, that we got today. Well, so. yeah, they've yeah. been they've been on the West Coast trip, so they, this is like a nice little. They get to come home before they go. So yeah, they, they, get they are probably. I believe the flight they because just some little inside baseball when we cover practices and they're about to go on a trip, they have the time of the flight 
on the dry erase board in the practice room, in the in the practice room, in the locker room. And the flight, I believe, was at two thirty. So your flyers right now are probably in the air heading to Raleigh. The flyers are flying. The flyers are flying. Indeed. <laughs> but we got some uh, we got some health updates. We thought that would probably be the case. Earlier in the day, we find out uh, Cal Peterson and Victor Mete are both sent down. Right. That makes sense. Um, but I want to start with some blue liners, and I guess I guess we'll go with Mark Stahl first because okay. this is the one. Honestly, man, it was a nice. We we, we filled the time with Morgan Frost, <laughs> and the Morgan Frost discourse, as I tweeted out the other night, he scored two goals. The Morgan Frost discourse will continue. I don't make the rules. I do write the show, but the fuck else you want me to talk about? Um, <laughs> Mark Stahl, anyway, it was a nice little vacation not having, well, is he going to play? Is it going to be Zamula? Like, obviously, Emil Andre has been sent down right. for weeks now, but left-handed defenseman, it's going to be someone we like, probably. <laughs> Mark Stahl coming back in, uh, he affirmed it was a rib injury. What did we learn about him today? Sure. So, uh, so Stahl, if you remember, and it's been nearly a month now, he, uh, he when he got injured, it was in the Edmonton game. Uh, it was in like the early second period. He crashed into the boards with uh, Warren Fogel of the Oilers. Uh, Stahl basically revealed today that, yeah, pretty much Fogel's knee just crashed into his rib and probably like cracked one or whatever. Um, had a four to six week timetable. We are now about to hit the four week portion of that timetable on Thursday. And he's pretty much right on the, the short end of that timetable because he confirmed he is not going to be playing in Carolina. Uh, I believe he's going on the trip. I think he's going to skate, um, but he's not playing. He's definitely not cleared. His expectation, as long as there's no sort of setback or anything, is that he'll be probably given like a day-to-day -day designation for the weekend games for Saturday and Sunday. Unclear whether he'll actually get into one of them, but presumably he'll be close. He's obviously missed a month, needs to get himself back into game shape. He, he did say that he has been skating. So while the Flyers were out in Cali, he skated about four or five times in Voorhees. So it's not like he's coming in completely cold. That said, this is, a, as he admitted today, he's older. He's going to need some time to kind of get his feet back under him. So they're not just going to throw him back out there. But it would not shock me if he's back in the lineup for, you know, maybe Sunday's game, possibly Saturday's game. But but Sunday's game seems to me to be a, a reasonable expectation for when Mark Stahl gets back in. And look, as you hinted, Mark Stahl, particularly at the very start of the season, I think it all... I think there were a lot of people who were skeptical of the signing to begin with, but then he had a really bad first game. And that just brought back all of the, why the hell did we sign this guy? Why is he, he had like playing? a Hal Gill? It was, it was bad. And the fact that he is an older player who has now missed a month before he's going to play again, it's very possible that he will start out and not be playing all the great again to start this. And this, this, all this discourse may kick back up again. Of I just, why is Mark Saul playing? Especially if Igor Zamula is the one who sits for a little bit because Stahl comes back in. Now, granted, that's not necessarily that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. You know, Louis Balpedio is still here, and we'll get into the the details of the lineup, uh, the defensive core in a few minutes. But if Ristolainen is not cleared, but Stahl is, they could theoretically basically just bump Balpedio into the press box or even back down to the minors keeps them all in on a regular basis and move stall in. So they could find a way to make it work. But look, the, the precedent was set early in the year that John Torrell wants Mark Stahl in the lineup. And if Mark Stahl's in the lineup, could be Zamula coming out. And this could just be deja vu all over again in terms of people on Twitter very angry that Mark Stahl is being prioritized over one of the kids who they claim they are prioritizing. Charlie, it's just... Uh... <laughs> yeah, uh, spoiler alert. If you're wondering who writes a lot, uh, most of the PHLY Flyers tweets, it's me. Uh, sure is. Good job, Bill. Might, might have to take a couple days off. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no. if, if Mark Stahl uh, returns. And just in case anyone was like, oh, well, you know, they, they were depending on Zamula for a little bit there. They were. Like, there was a stretch. He was playing like 17, 18, 20 minutes a night. Last three games, um, let's see. Well, if he, did, he didn't play on Saturday, but his, his dice time has definitely been dipping. It's, he he was moved because for a while he was in the say he was on the second pair with Walker. I thought, and, and I don't think this was, 
I don't think this was an incorrect evaluation from the coaching staff. I think Zamola's play did dip. Yes. It's not that he was bad every game. It's that he would have a game where you thought to yourself, that was mostly good. And then you have a game where you'd, you'd be thinking about the game, like, that was mostly bad. And it was very zigzag. And as a result of that, they bumped him down to the third pair. They moved Nick Sealer up to the second pair with Sean Walker. And since then, as you're about to get into, the ice time has been down. Yeah, uh, his last three games were the home game against the Kings and then at San Jose, at Anaheim, he averaged 13.35. Yeah, that's, that sounds about right for a third-pair defenseman. That's a third-pair defenseman right exactly. there. Exactly. Uh, so my guess is it's going to be him, but I could always be wrong. Um, well, we'll see. I mean, Saul isn't going to play on, on Wednesday it's against not the Wednesday. Kings, yeah. but there's no guarantee that Zamula is even going to come back in the lot. Well, I guess, I guess he has to. Because Mete is down. Mete so he, is down. So Zamula yeah. will be back in the lineup on Wednesday. That's fair because they'll be rolling with six. Um, but then when Stahl comes back, does Zamula check right back out again? Maybe it depends on how he plays against Carolina. <laughs> the discourse will once again continue, Charlie. I mean, the discourse never stops. It never bro. really it, ends. It truly never the, ends. I, the lineup is the one thing that we can like yeah. really zero in yeah. on. And just go, well, it should be this, so he's wrong. Yeah. You know? I mean, we do have a daily show. It, this yeah. is what happens. We talk about what's going on on a daily basis. The one thing that changes on a basically daily basis is the lineup. It's something to discuss. The coach <laughs> the coach definitely doesn't just have a set it and forget it lineup. No. And I guess he shouldn't. No, not with this like, team. And I, listen, I, I wish it was a lot more... Zamula's than stalls. Like if we were rotating these guys the way it was, oh yeah, well Zamula's gonna rotate, but it's with Andre. It's like, okay, I can live with that. Like this is just gonna piss people off. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that it necessarily should, especially if we get to the point where they talked about early in the season. Like, yeah, Stall ain't playing every game. If it gets to there and it's like, well, one out of every three. Like it, Zamula isn't going to play. That shouldn't make people. If, that, that if that's where it gets to, like I don't, I didn't yeah. get the sense that there was much in the way of anger. For example, when Bobby Brink sat on Saturday no, because he played one game, he played a bunch, and it was the second game of a back to back. He, I don't think he had been playing poorly recently, but he wasn't playing as well as he had been playing, you know, a week and a half ago when people were discussing him as a potential Calder dark horse. Uh, so I don't think that got people angry because it's like, yeah, it makes sense. He's a rookie; he can get it. Get a, get a game up in the press box to watch. Maybe it lets him reset a little bit. It's when a guy is sitting for three, four, five games in a row, like Morgan Frost was, when people start thinking this is ridiculous. Uh, Charlie, another guy who was on the ice today in some capacity, Rasmus Ristolainen. He's back. A, a Risto sighting. Uh, we have confirmation he's alive. Yep. So that's a great, that's a great first step. Uh, what did we what did we learn about uh, Risto today? Yeah, to me, actually, I thought this was the bigger piece of news today yeah. because with Stahl, like I think people had just forgotten about him a little bit. But he was adhering to the timetable. Mm -hmm. They gave us a four to six week timetable. It's been about four weeks. This is around the time you would expect Mark Stahl to be showing back up at practice in a non contact jersey. With Ristolainen, we've been given no information. They didn't even give us an upper body, lower body designation of what the injury was. They have been keeping their cards so close to the chest that it was starting to understandably remind people of the Atkinson situation from last year where, you know, going into the season, it was, it's not that serious. Maybe he'll miss a game or two, no big deal. And then suddenly a game or two turns into, we didn't see him even once. Like, <laughs> he, he was back in Cologne. They were like, oh, well, he's with the team right now. It's like, no, they're in Columbus. They're with him. <laughs> he is not with the team. Exactly. He's with his old team. Exactly. So like, uh, yeah. just, and this is, is it getting to the point of their transparency thing was bullshit? Or do you think they don't know? Well, I, I'm sure they know with Risto. It, it like would, they know what it is, yeah. but they're not like, we're not going to give you a timetable because we just gave you one a couple weeks ago and look what happened. I, I, I do think there's something to be said about that, that the, the lack of a timetable probably was because they didn't know what the timetable was. I'm sure they knew what the injury was, or at least I would certainly hope they did. But the, the absence of a timetable probably was in part because of that. I also have, have learned, I'm not sure if this is the case in this situation, but... One thing that the Flyers did struggle with during the live it this way. I think the Flyers were deserving of some criticism about the lack of transparency, without a doubt. I also 
think in a lot of those situations, they were in a little bit of a tough spot because the player was the one who was saying, I don't want my injury to be out there. And you're trying not to piss off the player. So you don't reveal like Nolan Patrick did not want details out there. Ryan Ellis did not want details out there. I'm pretty sure Cam Ackes didn't want details out there. So the Flyers kind of had to play the public facing bad guy because the player didn't want any of this stuff revealed. I wouldn't be surprised if in this case, Risto who generally speaking doesn't like to reveal things to the media, didn't want this stuff revealed, and the Flyers had to kind of take the transparency hit, when in reality, they're trying real hard, I think, to be more transparent, or at least as transparent as they can be. The good news is is that Risto was back on the ice. He did skate. He did actually, finally, to the media today, reveal it is a lower body injury. So at least now we have a location, a general location of the injury. Oh, was his wrist below his... Wrist, I'm telling you. It's always a it's, wrist. Yeah, anytime they give you the designation, they're lying. And it's like, <laughs> well, my wrist goes past my waist. Like, I'm a tall guy. <laughs> oh, my God. But So he did admit it was a, a lower body injury. And he seemed relatively optimistic. His quote was, hopefully I'm going to be playing soon. Now, granted, we have heard optimism from <laughs> players in the past, and then they never play again. But at the very least, Ristolainen himself seems to think that he won't be out too much longer. Still no timetable. We still don't really know. I would assume that Stahl comes back before Ristolainen, you would think, especially because Ristolainen, the last time he was close to coming back, he then suffered a setback and disappeared for two and a half weeks. So you would think they're going to play a little bit more careful with him as opposed to Stahl, whose injury appears to be a little bit, not that it wasn't serious, but it just seems to be a little bit more concrete. In like it's a rib injury. Yeah, that is it what was it hurt is. and now it's healed. It, exactly. He is back. Exactly. But it does seem like Risto, at least based on what we saw today and what he said to the media, it seems like he's on the right track, which is a good thing because I want to see if Ristolainen can carry over the gains that he made last year. However, and this is where we'll get into the lineup, it does mean that suddenly they have a bit of a logjam, especially with as it relates to Igor Zamora. And so just before uh, we do that, which was it Risto or Stahl who said, I want to get back in soon, but obviously it's up to the trainers. I think that was Stahl. I think it was Stahl. Yeah, yeah it was Stahl. Uh, that's a nice change to hear that they're not just leaving. Oh, you feel good. Go ahead. Yeah, get back in play. there. <laughs> and like, listen, it's not as if Stahl is like the most important guy to this organization. And he's probably smart enough to be like, nah, man, I'm 36. I'm not going to play hurt What for this team. What are you out of your mind? Yeah. Like, but, yeah. <laughs> but like we have seen it left up, I believe to the players a little too often. And it's resulted in them coming back and re-injuring themselves. I, I, I would agree. I think that there were definitely situations where it felt like the inmates were running the asylum yeah. in terms of injury recovery. And it led to guys getting re-injured much quicker than they would have been otherwise. All right. So now we get to how this defense actually fits once the uh, two of the veterans are back and Risto and Stahl. You have a lefty and a righty there. It looks like both are pretty much cemented in those spots. We know they want York on the left. They like Sanheim on the right. He has been fantastic. More on the uh, Norris Dark Horse a little later. (laughs) But how do you see this thing working out? Like, who are the regular six going to be? Is this going to be a game-to-game? We'll see who deserves it. We'll see who not. Like, who is... York, Sanheim... Walker. Walker, and and, and probably Risto. And honestly, I'm not ready to say... And look... I personally would have him in the lineup every game. I still think York's not. I'm not ready permanent. to say that that Cam York would be immune to a potential scratching. I think he's been inconsistent enough that it wouldn't blow me away if at some point in the next two or three weeks that Torts doesn't think maybe I'll try to wake him up by scratching for a game. I could definitely see a game. I do not see him in any sort of rotation. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think Sanheim is obviously your lock. Nightly, he's in there. No, like the, he write his name in in pen. And I think honestly, Sean Walker has played so well that to me, his name's in the lineup in pen. I think Cam York's name is in the lineup in very hard pencil, mechanical. Like pencil. you're like you're gonna have to really erase that one with some serious force. But you can to get him out. But you could if you had to. You could. After that, like Ristolainen, if he comes back and is the Ristolainen from last year, yeah, 
He's a lineup lock. He's in there. And then your your right-handed defenseman group is Sanheim, Walker, Ristolainen. That's locked in. But if Ristolainen comes back and struggles and they give him a week and he just doesn't look like he's he's all there, then I could see him being in a rotation because they scratched him last year. Like they've shown they did, yeah. they've shown that a poorly performing Ristolainen, this coaching staff is willing to have him take a seat for a game or two. So I don't think he's necessarily a lock unless he comes back and is the guy from last year. And if he is, then he would be. Okay, so beyond those guys, then you've got Nick Sealer, you've got Mark Stahl, and you've got Igor Zamola. And to me, like I would be fine if you start cycling those guys in, in some sort of rotation where everybody's getting most of the games, but no one's getting all of the games. The question is, would they be ready this early to have Mark Stahl in a rotation. I mean, the team is the team is right now at 500. I think for the most part, they have exceeded external expectations. I would agree. It's fair. Yeah. They've done so without their veteran presence, Mark Stahl. Like, I, I don't see how you're not ready for it. And I know like the coach is going to feel differently and he's got a relationship with Mark Stahl and he's going to want games played a certain way. And when they do throw in that clunker, like guess who's definitely in the next day, Mark Stahl. But I I just don't see how you, especially the way this defense has performed. And we were joking or to start the season, like, is this the worst blue line ever assembled? And it's not even close to that. It's fine. It's pretty decent. Like, yeah, it's, I'm not saying they're winning a cup anytime with this blue line, but like, I don't know. They're not giving up eight a game, which I thought was a possibility. So I, I just don't see how they're not already at least like, all right, we're going to get stall back in and he deserves it. Veteran, et cetera. But, like, Zamula ain't sitting for a week. Yeah. I don't know how they're not already in that mindset. I I think that's fair. And, you know, where this looked like it was going, and I think this guy has improved significantly. He had had a rough start, kind of just like Stahl did. I think where this was going before the Stahl injury was Nick Sealer being the guy who ends up being in the rotation. Well, the thing is, now Nick Sealer's on the second pair. So I'm not saying that he can't be pulled out of the lineup. I don't think he's the kind of guy they look at as someone who has to play every night. But I do think they look at him as a guy who's playing pretty well right now. He has a good partnership with Sean Walker, who is playing really well right now. So maybe he's not a guy who they are, you know, particularly inclined to yank out of the lineup right away to accommodate someone like Zamula. At the same time, like you don't want Zamula sitting for that long. Like, there's no point. There's no point. And, and you can't. You could send him down, but you'd have to clear waivers. So presumably you want him up this entire season. You want, and I want to make something clear about my thoughts on Igor Zamula. I like Igor Zamula as a prospect. I think there's potential there. But I don't think that like Igor Zamula has to be part of the long-term solution. What I want though, is I want him to get the bulk of the games this year to answer some questions on just how good he is. And if at the end of the year, you look at the, the entirety of a season and you say, he was, eh, he was like, he looks like he's a third pair guy. Then, you know, and then suddenly then maybe next year at camp, you maybe do wave it and you say, Hey, we'd like to keep him, But if somebody grabs him, it's not the end of the world because he's just a guy. But to me, this year is essential for someone like him because give him as many opportunities to prove that he's more than just a guy, that he's a guy that we want to be part of this and can maybe be a second pair defenseman long-term. So, to me, yes, you could sit him for a game. You could even sit him for two games if you want. But he's got to be getting in regularly because you got to know what you have in this guy. You got to make, maybe not make a final decision on him, but you got to have a good sample size of games in the NHL this year to really have a better understanding of whether he should be part of the future or not. You know, if you're if you're sitting through this show, if you're all you know jazzed up to be talking Igor Zamula, Mark <laughs> Stahl, that means... That means you're a diehard, my friends. That means you're a diehard. And what better way to show your diehard fandom than by becoming a diehard member at allphly.com. Exclusive content. When you sign up, you get a free shirt, events, uh, discounts on things. It's truly a, a great value for the diehard fans out there. And, man, if you're, I mean, You've probably been paying for Charlie's content all this time at his previous venture. 
Why not pay for it now? And our old pal Alex Appleyard is pitching in as well. Yeah, he'll be uh, he'll be writing an article shortly. He's in the process of working on it. On I think, as I've hinted on the show, it may be on a certain Russian prospect that everyone wants to learn as much about as possible. So keep an eye out for Alex Appleyard content coming. And I'm I'm very much now getting into the habit of one diehard article per week. Last week I uh, did a piece on the power play, uh, more talking about what the issues were, what changes they tried to make i spoke with john tortorella spoke with some players about the specifics of it and if you're a diehard you could read it if you're not a diehard well become a diehard this week i think i'm going to do a, a longer piece more on you know where things stand after the first month not necessarily in terms of the team as a whole but more about the individual players and and where they stand in terms of their potential future fit with the organization, what this first month has done for each and every guy on the team. So keep an eye out for that. And again, if you're a diehard, you'll be able to read it. If you're not a diehard, join the diehard membership and you'll be able to read all those stories. Once a week, we've got articles coming from I think Bo Wolf on the Eagles coverage is doing more and more. Derek Bodner's done a couple. So they're going to be coming for all the, uh, for all the teams. It's a good, I personally think it's worth it. I'm obviously biased. I'm the one producing the content, but we'd love to have you. And join our Discord too. I have basically nothing to do with it, and I think it's worth it. Uh, <laughs> I, I do hang out in the Discord. Uh, I do. I troll. I'm actually really happy we've dragged you in. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were going to do it. Because I was so bad at Slack. You were really Street. bad at Slack. <laughs> like, what? Like, it's an all-day conversation. Like, I, yeah. But the Discord, it's it's a little more focused. Okay, you know, okay. it's just a little bit more focused. <laughs> I don't need to know about what's going on in the world outside of hockey, and the Discord kind of keeps it to the hockey team. Fair. So I'm um, I'm much better at this. Okay. Also, like, what was I getting fired at Broad Street Hockey? That wasn't <laughs> happening. I could actually be fired here, so I need to do my fucking job. Uh, so sign up so we can both keep our jobs. All phly.com. Uh, so that's uh, that's the defense. Another. Uh, a piece of information we gained today, Chuck. Carter Hart had the poops. Yeah, don't <laughs> apparently be careful with the fish you eat in California. He had bad fish. Bad that fish was, in California. He was supposed to come back from his uh, mid-body injury uh, during the California trip, either Friday or Saturday, we thought. And then suddenly it was like, oh, no, he's not coming back. We found out he has food poisoning and he should be good to go tomorrow, I'm guessing. It seems like it. So we practice in full today. And just to be clear, because I did report some of this. If you uh, if you've been following us on our YouTube channel, please subscribe to that. Um, but if you've been following our YouTube channel, I've been posting post practice updates as much as I can, really. Basically, whenever something happens at practice that is newsworthy enough to justify me getting in front of a camera and talking about it for five minutes. So after practice on Thursday, I had the sunglasses. It was outside. It was tremendous. It was Anaheim. You know, trying to trying to, you know, keep the content Get light your for shady everyone. Rings. Exactly. But um we talked to Carter Hart at Thursday's practice in Anaheim and Carter Hart said, I'm good to go. I feel great. Well, I guess on Thursday in Anaheim was when he ate the ate some lunch. Ate the bad fish and then woke up the next morning and had the poops. And possibly worse than the poops. So we couldn't play on Friday. Then on Saturday, we were told in the morning that, oh, yeah, he's fine. He'll be able to play now. And then when the team hits the ice for warmups, Cal Peters is leading the team on the ice and Carter Hart is not out there. And we later <laughs> found out that, no, he maybe thought he was done with the poops. But as happens sometimes with the poops, they come back. <laughs> I just, besides how we're describing this, the funniest part of this is the timing we talked about everything that went on with Edmonton. They fire their coach. So uh, after they lose to San Jose, obviously, ever since Danny Breer, when he took the job, said, oh, I'm listening on Carter Hart. And if you just go to old NHL.com and sort by save percentage, Edmonton dead last. Yeah. Uh, they're behind, like behind San Jose even before that game. It was like Carolina and uh, and Edmonton both were getting worse goaltending than San Jose, who was getting the worst goaltending I've ever seen. <laughs> Somehow that's possible. Uh, so all the rumors obviously start to fly. There's always kind of been a little bit of um, connection with Carter Hart and Edmonton, where he's from. Yeah, of course. And it just kind of like seems to fit. And like the timing of it all was a little suspicious, but you think there's any chance whatsoever 
I find it highly unlikely. And I understand why people are going down that road. I get it. There were rumors flying around last week that Edmonton was going to do something big. Well, the something big was firing their coach, not trading for the winningest coach in (laughs) franchise history, by the way. (laughs) But I just think that number one, I don't think the Flyers have made the decision one way or the other on Carter Hart in terms of whether they think he can be part of the future or not. I don't think this is something they're willing to just, you know, oh, you gave us a good offer, so we're doing it. Done. Like, I don't think they're there yet with Hart. He's young enough where he theoretically could be part of the solution. And then, I know we keep saying it, there's the Hockey Canada stuff. I just find it highly unlikely that while all of that is unresolved, that a team would be willing to make the kind of offer to the Flyers that, that makes be, it work. That would be overwhelming enough yeah. that they're like, yeah, we can't turn that down. Because then look, I guess if there was a team that was going to get that desperate, maybe it was Edmonton. So I understand why people were thinking, hey, maybe they are that crazy. They're trying to salvage their season. They need a goalie. But even with that, I don't think that a team would be willing to take that risk. Today, there was a new thing with the Hockey Canada situation, which more or less was just one of the reports, like the internal Hockey Canada report is done. But immediately after the report was done and they were told it was done, the players immediately appealed. And now it's locked up in another appeal. So until that appeal now is resolved, Hockey Canada will not make any adjustments to the player statuses or reveal any information or reveal any further punishments. So this is just going to continue to be a thing for a while. And I don't think that any team, whether it be Edmonton or any other club that needs a goalie, I just... I just don't think any of them are going to be willing to make the kind of offer to the Flyers that would have the Flyers seriously think about it until they know for a fact that the guy that they're giving up the farm for isn't going to be suspended for a year and isn't going to be implicated in something really serious and awful. It is... Uh, like different circumstances, but Edmonton is the team that took the chance on Evander Kane after all of that. And they are in a situation where uh, it's not just necessarily about this season, it's about getting Dreisaitl to re-sign a contract extension on July 1st. That is true. It's about getting Connor McDavid to sign a contract extension uh, July 1st, 2025. Yeah. Like, it is about the long-term viability of the, uh, you know, best player in the league and another top five forward, like, whatever you want to call Dreisaitl. You're not wrong, but I guess the flip side of that would be... If they trade for a goalie, give everything up, and then he gets suspended, well, fuck, now we have nothing to improve the team. Exactly, exactly. So, there's a risk on both sides where, yes, you're trying to convince these guys to stay, but if if you... if you flub a Carter Hart trade and it turns out he never can play also, again. Also, it's Ken Holland's last year, mm. so he doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> but I very much doubt, unless you're the Flyers, and you're like, yeah, Chuck Fletcher, hand out some <laughs> hand out some contract extensions, even yeah. though like we're going to, we brought in this coach to tell us who deserves an extension, much like, oh, Paul Holmgren, we're replacing you in a month. Yeah, sign Andrew McDonald first. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so boy. I guess it's possible that they let the, like, let something dumb like that happen. It's possible. You, you would never assume know. you wouldn't let that happen. Fair. But it, they, you just look at the circumstances and think there's a possibility they're desperate enough. Mm -hmm. But it's probably just not feasible on either side. I I don't think it would happen now. I really don't. I think there are just too many things working against it. And now the Oilers fired their coach, and they won a game. So maybe they're going to go on a 10-game winning streak, and none of this will matter. Probably. Because they they do have, like, I know we're turning this this into Oilers hour, but, like, look, Jack Campbell, maybe that was just a bust of a signing, but I don't think he's a Cal Peterson. And Stuart Skinner was pretty good last year. Like, all they need is one of their goalies, not to even be great, but just to be passable and then wait for McDavid to get just a bit more healthy because he's clearly battling for something. Like, and they really should be able to, at the very least, squeak into the playoffs. That's like when you look at the um, like amount of time, there's like, okay, well, in the last, like, what, 65 games, we have to, they have to play like at 110 point pace to get to 100 points. And it's like, all right, they should. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like they should. They have the ability. That's easily what they should be at. So we'll see how it all works out, maybe down the line, whether it's a goalie or another piece. Maybe they come calling for Sean Walker or something. We will see. Um, 
like I said, I promised you all, I know you're dying for it, and Morgan Frost scored a couple of goals the other night, so the discourse continues, damn it. Uh, Morgan Frost, he scores two goals. Um, First one, he got the bounce, but... I will give him credit because the last time, I think it was the last time we were in studio together, just describing what kind of player he is versus maybe what Tortorella is looking for. I said, maybe he's the gains the entry, pulls up and waits for something at the top of the circle rather than seeing the rush through and saying, I'm making something happen now. And I'll give him the credit, gains the entry on that first goal takes a look nothing there and instead of waiting for reinforcements circles behind the net and then tries to center the puck what happens when you put pucks in dangerous areas sometimes good things happen and he gets the goal and then second goal net front presence morgan frost exactly gets the tip in front of the net and that is something that is something john tortorella as you pointed out in your article not just morgan frost he's been begging the entire team to do yeah like i complained after the san jose games after the san jose game they could have had a hundred shots on net none of them were going in because they were all from the top of the circle yeah like when you're that far away you need something lucky to happen and if there's no traffic it's probably not going to happen He's doing what the coach is asking, and it has resulted in a couple of goals against a very good team. He's got to stay in now, right? <laughs> you would think. I mean, look, he scored two goals in the last game. He's not coming out. Now, the question of how much line of security did he buy himself with that game, I'm not sure. But this is exactly, as you said, this is exactly what Tortorella wanted to see from him. Number one, Torch just wants to see offense from him. I think, and and honestly, I'm in agreement with Tortorella. I don't know if I've ever seen a coach so explicitly just say about a guy. Like, it's always, well, you know, points aren't the most important thing. It's the little things, how you play with all the, you know, cliches and nonsense. I don't know if I've ever heard a coach just be like, he has to put up fucking points. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever heard that. Yeah. And, and there's, look. We made the argument, I made the argument last week that I didn't think it was necessarily fair that Frost was getting dinged because he was on a line with the snake-bitten dude Tyson Forrester who he was setting up for chances and Tyson just couldn't finish. But there is something to be said about like, look, if your job is to produce points, find a way to produce points. And if you don't produce points, if that's your one job, like you had one job and you didn't do it, then maybe don't be surprised if you get pulled out of the lineup. On Saturday, he produced points. He had two goals. Yes, the first one was a bit lucky, but hey, did good he things. He made it happen. He did good things to create that luck. The second goal, that's not luck. Like This is actually some, uh, some inside information for people who are not diehards yet, are not in our Discord. There was a debate in the Discord about, well, like you know, Frost has been playing well, and then he gets two lucky goals, and then someone was like, well, the second goal, if you're going to call that goal lucky, then every goal that John LeClaire scored in his entire career was lucky. And they obviously weren't, given how many he scored. No, like getting goals from tips in front and from rebounds in front and things like that. That's a skill. That's a skill. Now, there's a reason the Flyers' power play, after Wayne Simmons left, took a nosedive. Like in Claude Giroux, like he had a 100-point season in there, and they were at like 20% 15th in the league. Like there's a reason. That is a very valuable skill. Like Mike Knubel had played a long time in this league because he could do that one thing. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not expecting Morgan Frost to become to be Mike Knubel. Like, no, I'm not. probably not. You, you look at it. He's a skinny guy. <laughs> He's a playmaker. But what I thought was important about it, and I, I hope this is the way Tortorella looks at it, is I'm challenging the entire team to go to the net, to, to create goals in the dirty areas, to be in the paint. And Morgan Frost, maybe the guy in my four core who is – the least comfortable going in front of the net and getting goals that way, he gets a goal there. Number one, it shows that he's listening to me, clearly, because he's doing something that's way out of his comfort zone. Number two, it sets an example for everybody else because then Tortorella in his next video session can be can say to, you know, I don't know, Noah Cates, or he can say to Owen Tippett, like guys who are who are bigger, particularly somebody like Owen Tippett. Forster. And, say, and it's like, yeah. or, or Forster, and be like, look, if you're not, if you're playing too much of a perimeter game, look, even Morgan's going to the front of the net. Like, what the hell are you doing out That's, there? It's going to be great when, and like, this is just a hypothetical conversation, but <laughs> <laughs> 
even when he does something right, he's going to catch strays. <laughs> even this fucking guy is doing the thing. Like, that is just very funny to me. But yeah. Like, like, there's something to be said about, you know, you want to impress the coach so much that you're so bought in. Because I think that was the word he used, buy in. He's buying in. He's yeah. buying in. That you're so bought in that you're willing to do something that is very much not you. It sends a message to the coach. And I really hope that, that Tortorella takes it to heart. Because I've very much got the sense this season that Morgan Frost is really trying that he is he's trying to you know maybe maybe they weren't super satisfied with what he was doing on the ice at times but off the ice I think he is trying really hard to be a good teammate and I think he showed on Saturday he's trying really hard to do what the coaches are telling him to do even if it's something that doesn't necessarily come naturally to him now this isn't a perfect comparison but just thinking about like what Morgan Frost brings the team and okay he absolutely has to produce points if he's going to be in the lineup because that's his only like nhl level skill production right uh just thinking about and it's not a perfect comparison because like tk scrappy as hell cam atkinson kind of that yeah he's got skill and he scores but more of a not allergic to contact as you've kind of described morgan frost as in the past yeah but should Morgan Frost be killing penalties? That's a fascinating it's something, question. And it's it's something your buddy Appleyard put on Twitter a couple of days ago that he was very good at it in the minors. He was very good at it in juniors. So what I'll say, I, he, he did it. He was he was good at it in the in juniors with the in the sense of he got a lot of shorthanded points. I don't know if he was actually good at the art of killing penalties. He was good at creating offense during the penalty kill. And listen, I'm just like, they've turned Travis Konechny yes, now into a penalty kill weapon. Yes. Cam Atkinson, especially when he's younger, but still to this day, a penalty kill weapon. Like Morgan Frost could be that he's fast. He's got the creativity. If he could just withstand a little bit of the punishment that comes with, yeah, when you're on that half wall looking for that outlet pass, you're going to get hit. When the point man has the puck at those mesh points, you're going to have to hit him, and that's going to have to be an adjustment he makes, but it doesn't seem like it's out of the realm of what he could do. I would agree with that. I think the biggest thing that probably stops them from even seriously considering it at this point is that they just have so many guys who I think they view as potential penalty killers in the future. Like Joel Farabee, they view as a penalty killer. He's been kind of off and on like Nick Delorier. Now I know I bring up Nick Delorier. People are (laughs) going to roll their eyes, but like Nick Delorier, one of, one of his skills is he's a decent penalty killer. Like they have a lot of guys, you know, Palin kills penalties, Couturier, Lawton, you know, now you got TK, Atkinson's back. They have so many forwards on this team like Noah Cates is a penalty killer that can kill penalties and that they feel like should be in the penalty kill rotation, then I just don't know if there's any room for Morgan Frost to be in it. That said, I don't think you're wrong in that I wouldn't mind them trying. Trying to add that element to his game. I would not mind them trying it. I will say something that could hold him back, and it's something we've discussed in the past. He doesn't win face-offs. Yeah. He's at 45% last season into this season. Man, that's going to be even worse with fewer guys on the ice and you're in the defensive zone. Like, he's going to, yeah, because it's not going to go well. You would presumably pair him with a winger. The, and so Frost is taking the faceoffs. That said, like, a lot of You penalty- could put him out there with Couturier. Well, not There's even, no rule against not even it. that, though. A lot of penalty killing is rotational. Like, you yeah. know, you know, yeah, the first guy has to take that face off. But then once that first clear happens, you know, the, the, the four pairing goes off the ice while the other team is retrieving the puck. And then those guys come back in. You could very easily do it where Frost is killing penalties and never once has to take a penalty kill face off. Because when there's a, if he's on the ice and there's okay. a stoppage, you take him off and you send out one of the guys who can. So you could make it work. It's just that they have so many forwards that I think are above him on the penalty kill depth chart that I think that's what probably prevents them from trying it. But it, it kind of becomes a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy where you say, well, Frost doesn't kill penalties. He doesn't do anything other than score. So if he's not scoring, he can't be in the lineup. But then it's like, well, maybe if you gave him a shot to kill penalties, yeah. he'd be good at it. And then you'd have another reason not to take him out of the lineup. So I understand the argument. I don't think it is a I don't think it's a ridiculous argument. I just don't think that he's a guy at this stage that they I don't think they look at him and they see a penalty kill guy. I wouldn't mind them giving him a chance to prove them wrong. But there are so many other guys that they think do look like penalty kill guys that are above him that I just don't see how he really gets into the rotation unless a bunch of guys get hurt. 
and maybe that's what it's going to take. We always talk about the uh, the injuries being opportunities for guys. I just think it's if they're looking to develop him, that might be something extra yeah. they could throw in. I'm just trying to just trying to figure out how to make Morgan Frost look the absolute best, whether it's to be here or be traded at some point. But all you have to do to look your absolute best. It's shop with FOCO because FOCO has the absolute best officially licensed gear for all sports and fandoms. Whether you're looking for team apparel for the season ahead, they've got overalls, hoodies, hats, sunglasses, bags, anything you need for game day. Or maybe you need some accessories, toys, collectibles, or novelty items for your man cave, she shed, or podcast set. You've got to use FOCO for all your team gear needs. FOCO always has our back for Philly sports, and they have yours too. Get the best gear around by using the link in the description of the show for all non-presale items use code phly that's promo code phly for 10 percent off of foco they still have the overalls still have uh, the overalls <laughs> it's, it's gonna be really hard to top how cool the overalls are uh just one more thing on morgan frost because i don't think we've discussed him enough in the first no, two months not of the show um I'm listening to I'm listening to Nasty Knuckles today. Okay. Uh, cuz I really I wanted the full context. Did you see the story of Hextall was mad? I think it like rookie TK for like giving away a couple sticks at I practice did see or that. something. You're talking about the Dale Weiss story. Yeah, right? the Dale Dale Weiss story. So I wanted to get like the full context of that and I didn't listen to the whole show, but they are talking about Tortorella in the beginning and Dale Weiss spent like 10 games in the NHL under John Tortorella uh, with the Rangers um, and then he played with him he played with him in Vancouver, Vancouver as well. Right, yeah. So he's had the John Tortorella experience. Maybe he didn't before. have the best of John Tortorella in <laughs> Vancouver, but <laughs> He, it turns out he's a big fan. Is like he really, he, he okay. really likes him. Okay. He says we had a lot of fuck you meetings mm. where it's just me and him screaming F you at each other, but he likes him as a coach. And everything we've heard about Torts is that that he wants guys to come to him and kind of be that way. Yes. Like yes. I always think of um and we me and you reference Major League all the time. I actually did another show last night and someone referenced, Have you ever seen the scene in Moneyball? And I'm like, me and Charlie just did this like last week. <laughs> uh, but the scene where Dorn is messing with Vaughn and puts the pink slip in his locker. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes into Lou Brown's office, starts losing his shit. And he He's goes, like, I love that kind of fire. I like that. Only problem is I didn't cut you. <laughs> like Tortorella seems like a guy who would want that. Like, yeah. come oh, into his oh. office and turn his table over. He's like, now you're in the lineup. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Morgan, I do not have the relationship with the players that you do. You're there every day. Is Morgan Frost that kind of, like, he seems reserved to me. Is Tortorella trying to maybe bring that out of him? Like, I want you to come and basically fight me for your spot in the lineup. If you punch me in the face, you're the captain of the team. Like, that's what, like, that's what I'm maybe seeing. You know... I do think that maybe there is something to be said about that Frost's personality doesn't necessarily fit like John Tortorella's ideal hockey player personality. Because I think this is something that he's running into with Cam York right now. Whereas Cam York has that California cool. And I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that personality. But it is not the kind of personality that John Tortorella is going to naturally gravitate <laughs> towards. Like he is going to more be into the guys who are, I'm going to run through a fucking wall. Yeah. And that's not Cam York. That's also, I don't think, Morgan Frost. I do think, though, that... John Tortorella can adapt. And I think a classic example of this is Travis Sanheim. Because Travis Sanheim to me was last year, granted, Sanheim played poorly. And I think that was the driving force behind it. But I also think that they struggle to connect as people because Sanheim is more of a, not laid back, because that's not a right way to put it, but he is more reserved. He's honestly a little shy. And I think that Sanheim at times would feel uncomfortable challenging John Tortorella because this is John Tortorella and I'm just a player and I'm a player who honestly is really hard on myself and I know I'm playing like crap so I don't feel good yelling back at John Tortorella because on some level I know he's right and I think Tortorella kind of wants that he wants to go a little bit too far in his criticism to give the player an opportunity to scream back at him and then he's like yeah you care you give a shit you care enough to yell back at me, that shows me you're engaged, and that shows me that you want to work through this with me. You're not just going to let me rip you and just sit there and take it. And maybe there is an element to that with Morgan Frost, but 
let me put it this way. If that's the case and Frost hasn't yet blown up on, on Tortorella behind closed doors, like I don't know if it's ever going to happen because Torts is really pushing this guy's buttons. He's doing it like that's, every other week. That's when I see like this Torts quote from, uh, I think it was your story. Uh, we need his offense. That's on, That's the only way he can stick. He's beginning to show us that. Like, bro, he... he Last season doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's beginning to show us that. Yeah. Like, it's just, he really seems to be pushing the buttons. And yeah. that's, I'm just, that could be maybe that's just what that, he wants. That, that could be part of it. And I, I do think you're right, though, in that Torts, while he will say he's trying to evaluate these guys as unbiased as possible, he definitely has a bias he's towards, a human being. towards the traditional, you know, blood and guts, run yeah. through a wall types guys. He does. Um, not a ton of time left in the show. Just want to say, so last week we talked about Owen Tippett carrying the puck to the net more, and uh, he has. Sure did. Now, one is a breakaway, so, like, what are you going to do? Pull up from the circle on a breakaway? Like, that would be weird. Uh, but, I mean, he's not Fulton Reeve. Uh, <laughs> but, like, that, the play he made, I think it was the first goal against Anaheim, the takeaway in the neutral zone, and yes. then he just absolutely shows off the skill, puts the puck through the defender, ducks around him, and then deeks the goalie. Yeah, that was fantastic. That's show us a little bit of don't you have a great shot. Use that. You know, power play, rip some one timers. But we need to see your strength and skill. And yeah. he's displaying that. Hopefully we see a lot more of that Owen Tippett. Talk about guys who are making things happen but not scoring. Tyson Forster is like making shit happen. And it's just yeah. Just not going in. It's a bummer. He's, just, I, he's got three assists. I thought he had like 10. I actually asked towards this after Saturday's game. And this is something, honestly, is really impressive about Forrester. And it, in a way, it gets me even more excited about his upside because I do think that he's going to score goals in this league. I am like, looking I, at a good hockey like, player. It's going to come. And I think a lot of times, if you're a young guy who's trying to stick in the NHL and you've scored goals your entire life and the goals just aren't coming... Most guys, I think, would start cheating for offense. They would start blasting the zone early. They would start, you know, neglecting some of the details because they're like, man, I need to start scoring goals if I want to stay in this league. If I want to impress the coach, I need these goals. And the other details start slipping. With Forrester, if anything, his other details are getting better. Like, as this goalless drought goes on longer, he's making more and more good little plays. He's going to have eight points to win the Selkie yeah. at the end of the season. Uh, we're, like, running out of time. But, 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 but again, going back yeah. to Forrest for a second, like, I look at him and I say to myself, like, man. It's coming. The way his details are getting better if the goals do start coming and he keeps those details, like, shit, we could have a really good player no, like on our him, hands. He it, just has to start scoring I, some freaking goals. I really do like him with Couturier, with Couturier though. I'm, I've really, that's been going very well, I think. He's been making plays, even though he's not getting the goals. They're going to come. Just have to mention Travis Sanheim while we have that a couple a hell of, of goals minutes. scored in, uh, in Anaheim, man. Dude. That uh, rolled. It, that's incredible. Uh, so 12 assists and 14 points both lead the team. When I checked on Sunday morning, Sanheim had 11 even strength points tied for second in the league with Quinn Hughes behind only Victor Hedman, who has 12. Now I can't imagine the Norse actually goes to a player on like a non-playoff team, like unless he has the historic season yeah. that Carlson did last year or right. something like that. Is he actually a contender right now, though? Because listen, listen, fourth and average, <laughs> average time on ice, fifth in scoring, same number of shots on goal as uh, Carlson, Morrissey, and McCarr, 56.7% expected goals for. If he produced a little bit on the, fi on the power play and his five-on-five five numbers stayed the same, like – He'd have to at least get some courtesy fourth or fifth place votes, no? Yeah, I, I mean it's fair. Look, if if Travis Sanheim is a point per game player at the, at, the, this at the end of the season, and it's almost entirely via even strength, yeah, he should get some. I, right? I don't think I don't think that's going to happen. Like I think the, the offense is going to settle down it would a be bit. Surprising, but hey, if he's finishing the year with seventy six points with like. Six of them being on the power play. Yeah, he's going to get some Norris votes. That said, like you just look around, like McCarr, Fox, Haskin, and Hughes, Darlene, not to mention the vets, Hedman, Hamilton, Carlson. 
it's not hard yeah. to see how Sanheim, even if he has a very good season, yeah. could get lost in the yeah. shuffle. And, and Hughes is having but an incredible start. Makar is Makar. It's insane to me that we started out the season being like three-time Lindbergh award winner, and I'm even hinting at Norris. He's not going to win the Norris. I'm just saying the numbers are in line with the guys who will win through 14, 15 games. I would agree. And that's kind of crazy. I would agree. And, and I think like this, just going into the piece that I'm going to be working on this week, that's going to be for, for our diehard members about, you know, what does this first month of the season mean for, you know, maybe the fits with these guys, with certain guys long-term, like to me, I don't, this has been an awesome start for Travis Santa. I think he has looked like a, at, at even strength, look like a legitimate number one defenseman. I am not expecting him to continue to look this good. I'm not expecting him to continue to score at a point per game pace, continue to drive play at this degree of awesomeness. I think he's going to drop off a bit because that's generally what I expect. When guys play a little bit over their heads for a bit, they drop off Except and then they come back unless, to reality. Unless they're Canucks. Unless they're Canucks. Then, then they they're going to get better. Yeah, probably. then they just keep doing it. Yeah. But what I do think is that what this month has got me more of a being a believer of is that like I don't think Travis Sanheim is a number one defenseman on the next great Flyers team but I look at him now and I'm like you know what I think he could be like the Braden Coburn or Matt Carl on that cup team like I could see him being in that role where he is a 25 minute he can take 25 minutes a night in the playoffs on a top four with another really good defenseman by his side I look at him like yeah yeah, that could be Travis Sanheim on the next great Flyers team. And that's something that this summer, I would have laughed at you if you would have said that. No, it, it would have been surprising. Uh, that is pretty much all the time we have for you on PHLY Flyers. We didn't get to this, but I just have to, because um, we talked last week so much about, like we just listed the ridiculous things that this organization has done. Uh, Dave Haxtall, in looking up stuff about uh about Chris Knobloch now that he's the coach of Edmonton. And Chuck was, Knobloch? <laughs> did I call him that? No, I, oh, I called him Chuck yeah, okay. Knobloch. Uh, just, looking up, just looking up stuff about Knobloch now that he you know, spent two years on the bench uh, with Hackstall. Now he's the head coach of Edmonton. Uh, in one of the stories I read, it was at, when Dave Hackstall was let go, and it remains true, he is third all-time in regular season games coached for the Philadelphia Flyers behind only Fred Shiro, legend, yeah. and Mike Keenan, legend. This organization has always been insane. Well, I was seeing people in the comment section up here on our on our screen just like ranting and railing on Ron Hextall. Like th there is nothing that is more like a better like more emblematic of the Ron Hextall era than the fact that Dave Hextall has the third most games coached in Flyers history. Like over the entirety of the time Ed Snyder was the owner and man basically manager of the team. Like at the first sign of trouble, he was firing a coach. A and and the fact that Dave Hextall <laughs> was at best a mediocre coach under under Ron Hextall and Ron Hextall was like, nah, that's fine. Keep this him. team, Wild. except for a few anomaly years, regular cup contender from like 1973 to 2012. Yeah. And Dave Hackstall is third. third. Is third. Just insane. All right. That wow. is all the time we have for you on PHLY Flyers. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for hanging out. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. Make sure you're subscribed here on YouTube. Follow the Twitter at PHLY underscore Flyers. Uh, podcasts, you know how to find those. My name is Bill Matz for Charlie O'Connor. Have a great week, Philly. <laughs> Silly like the mayor.